Hey you guys, it's Melissa here from MelissaOatman.com. Welcome to another episode of Awaken Your Inner Awesomeness. I am so delighted that you are here with me today and we have a very special guest with us. We have with us today, Dr. Abigail Lev, who is the author of three books, that are all about strengthening relationships. She is a licensed psychotherapist, a speaker, an executive coach. She's the director of the Bay Area CBT, and she's also the founder of the website, the Bay Area CBT Center Online, which includes online courses where you can get some self-help, there's mindfulness, there's just everything. And I'm very excited to have her with us today because she is gonna be talking to us about a topic that I think is near and dear to many people's hearts, which is relationships. And how do we find healthy relationships and kind of get through those patterns of picking out the wrong relationships. It's especially difficult in this time. So I cannot wait to listen to what she has to say to us today. Greetings. My name is Joni Burke. I host the Closer to Venus podcast. This is an audio only show that showcases interviews with experiencers and researchers on metaphysical topics such as reincarnation, the afterlife, mediums, out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, past life memories, angels, spirit guides, as well as other spiritually transformative experiences. The show's a good fit for people that have questions like, why are we here? What's our purpose? What really happens when we die? For more info, you can go to closertovenus.com. Episodes are available on all podcast directors. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We're going to refer to you as Abby because I know that's what you like to be called sometimes. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm very excited to have you here because I know that you um, do a lot of work in helping people with relationships and that can be a very tough area for a lot of people. So I cannot wait to pick your brain today um, for you to give us just some practical advice. But before you get to that, I would love for you just to tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how is it that you're helping people? Sure. Um, I'm a licensed psychotherapist. Uh, I have an office in, in San Francisco and in Oakland. Uh, I also am the founder of cbtonline.com where we have courses and webinars. Um, and I went into psychology because, you know, I was having chronic existential crises and, and wondering, what is the meaning of it all and what makes people happy and why do people do what they do? And uh, when I took my first psychology course, I just knew that this is my passion and, um, and I, I love my work. <laughs> I, I feel very lucky to, to get to do what I love. That's awesome. Because not a lot of people can say that. A lot of people are just surviving in a job and not really truly thriving, but it's awesome to hear that you're thriving in what you do. So I know that you were going to talk to us today a little bit about, um, you know, it's a tough time to date right now. <laughs> and there's a lot of new things going on, things like ghosting, where I feel like personally, that happens a lot more often than it used to. Um, so maybe you can just kind of start there and talk to us about how do we find relationships 
in today's time when it's so difficult? Yeah, I mean, it must be happening more because now we have all of this terminology for these things like ghosting and benching and love bombing and all of these terminology uh, for kind of being really moving really quickly and then like leaving someone and not having closure. So when we build a new vocabulary for something, it means that something is happening in our collective. And so certainly with technology and social media and all of these options, we have options for Uber and what we want to eat and what we want to watch. Uh, the more options we have, the more difficult it is for us to actually be able to identify what, what do we really want. Um, so people are dating, uh, doing online dating and for many different reasons and, and different purposes and often um, they're not really going towards it in a very values driven way, in a very authentic way and really clear on their intention on what they're hoping to get from it. So often we could find ourselves repeating certain dynamics and, and uh, relationships over and over again. Yeah, so we were talking a little bit ahead of time and we were talking about um, the difference between characteristics and values in people. And so a lot of people will say, well, I want someone who's good looking or I want someone who dresses well. And you were talking about the importance of not looking for the characteristics, but rather looking for the values in people. Can you explain that a little more? Sure. Uh, I use values in my work in therapy to help people do new behaviors, whether in relationships or in their careers or in, fr in friendships. So values drive all of our behaviors. When we're thinking about our values in searching for a partner, what happens is that most of us are looking for these external qualities. So we find somebody that we feel like we have a good chemistry with or uh, we're attracted to, or we like the kind of job that they have, or we like their humor, uh, or the way that they dress. And these are uh, more qualities and not innate values. And what that means is that qualities are actually easier to shift or change. So if I'm with somebody for 5, 10, 15 years, we're going to read similar books and have discussions and uh, we could even start having the same inside jokes and sh share similar humor. And there's a lot of qualities that shift in a relationship, but there are certain things that are kind of unchangeable, like the values that a person has or like their attachment styles, their core beliefs in relationships. Those things are very ingrained and, and difficult to change. So when you're looking uh, for somebody's values, for example, a value is how you are being something. So being honest, being loyal, being cooperative, being empathic, uh, being collaborative, being um, genuine, being authentic. Those are examples of values and those are different from qualities. And also when we're searching for a partner, we're not just listening to the words that people are saying about what they stand for, we really want to see their behaviors. We want to see their values show up in their actions. Yeah, I think that's a very good point because a lot of people talk the talk, but they don't necessarily back that up with behavior. And I think it's so important to look at values and not just characteristics because I was having an argument with someone not too long ago and I said, 
something that they were okay with. I said, I'm not okay with that. And he said, well, I don't understand why you wouldn't just let that go or, you know, ignore that. That's not a huge deal. And I said, no, that that's a red flag to me because it says a lot about your core value and that we don't have the same values because what you agree with, I don't. And right, he right. just could not understand that concept. Yeah. Well, one is I'm really curious about what, what has happened here. <laughs> <laughs> but I think also um, you're making a really important point, which is that what is tolerable or intolerable is very subjective. Like what's tolerable for me may be intolerable for you. And certainly there are behaviors and actions that people take that is giving us information about their core values and the ways that they're inconsistent with those values. So somebody could say, I'm really empathic and I'm caring and I'm kind hearted, but you wanna be paying attention to, are they uh, looking the waiter or waitress in the eye or are they saying thank you or are they um, being polite, right? Or like, what are they like in the moment with you? Is Because we all have, when we're on a date, we're not really saying exactly who we are. We're saying who we wanna be, our ideal self. And so it's really important to be able to distinguish what they're showing you from what they're saying about themselves. Yeah, I think that's super important. And I think that um, oftentimes we just tend to overlook it. We just want to believe what people tell us. And especially if you're a people pleaser, we'll often overlook those things, but it's, you can learn a lot very early on if you just pay attention, at least is what I found. Absolutely, I think also, is that we are in a very conflict avoidant society. And the dilemma is that conflict opens up an opportunity to um, get to know the other person, see their values, see how they show up in different scenarios. Like if you want to settle with someone, you don't wanna just know what they're like. You wanna know what is this person like when they're angry? What is this person like when they're disappointed? What are they like when they're sad? Uh, what are they like when they're stressed out? So the more that we try to walk on eggshells and keep everything uh, very conflict-free or not assert ourselves or change our minds or say no, then we delay the amount of time that we have in actually getting to know the person and we close off opportunities for conflict resolution because conflict resolution, and I, I want to be clear when I use the word conflict, I don't mean fight. I just mean a moment where two people have different needs. They are in conflict. And those opportunities are so important because I wanna know like if I have a need for space and you have a need for affection, how do we negotiate that? And how do we create win-win and negotiations where both of our underlying needs get met? So the more we avoid conflict, the less information we have about the person. And so we're gathering information that's kind of useless, right? Like. Where did you grow up and what kind of things do you like? I mean, this isn't going to tell you what your partner is going to be like when it really matters. Yeah. So how do you get to know someone on a more deeper level when you're just starting to date someone? You know, I, I would say step one is getting to know yourself on a very deep level, right? So step one is 
Um, I have a schema questionnaire on my website. It's a questionnaire that tells you about your core beliefs. So if you go to bayareacbtcenter.com, you could take this questionnaire and it will tell you whether you have some core beliefs around abandonment or mistrust or entitlement or self-sacrifice or emotional deprivation. And we bring certain core beliefs into our relationships that can then create a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if I have a fear of abandonment, I may engage in certain behaviors that elicit the very abandonment that I fear. So step one is knowing your own core beliefs, your, your values, what you wanna stand for, what are the behaviors that you do that get in the way of a healthy relationship? And then also, um, what kind of relationship do you want? What values are you looking for in a partner? Now, when you're clear about those and like your part of things, right? Like yeah. uh, then you want to be checking in, um, you know, in therapy, we say the best predictor of future behaviors is past behavior. So we always want to ask things about uh, what have their previous romantic relationships look like? How have those relationships ended? What have they learned from those relationships about their values and what they wanna be about? Uh, we wanna see that the person is um, showing up and also thinking in a way that is about self-awareness and looking at themselves. So if somebody is telling you about all of their exes and it's just like, she's bad and she's bad or he's bad and he's bad, and they don't really have a three-dimensional right flavor to what they're saying and how they contributed and the complexities of the relationship that's usually a red flag. Yeah, I was just going to say that because um, I think there have been a lot of times when I've gone out with people and they just want to trash talk their ex. And that is a huge red flag because they're, you know, for me, it's like, well, if they're talking about this person this way, what will they say about me <laughs> when things don't go well or, you know, something's going wrong. But also that they're not taking responsibility and ownership, you know, because we're all, we all play a responsibility or a part in our relationships, you know, no one's perfect. So we're playing off of each other. So if you have someone who's just saying it was all their ex's fault, then that's a huge red flag. We always want to take many into account, right? So we ask about like many exes and friendships and family relationships and we're listening to like common themes right and where there's like a common denominator and i agree with you if it's all sounding very similar and there's not a lot of space for how that person contributed to the dynamic there's it shows a lack of accountability we yeah. also want to ask like how long have your longest relationships been and um how, how long have they lasted and how have they ended because we want to get a good, you know, I, I always tell my clients that we have to be good at uh, creating relationships, starting them. Then we have to be good at maintaining relationships. And then we also have to be good at ending relationships. For, for us to have healthy relationships, all of those pieces matter. Because if we can't end a relationship, then we're, we, we can't really open up a new door for a healthier relationship. And so the way we end relationships is really important. Did we create closure? Did we learn from it? Did we right, grow from the experience? And what would you say to someone maybe who's out there who never got closure from someone? Because I know that that can definitely have an effect on any future relationships because I've seen clients that I've had myself who 
want to dwell on what happened and it's hard for them to move forward when there was no closure. So I guess what's the best advice or what are some tips you could give to someone who maybe had that happen to them? You know, it's interesting because I think the way that I see values when I help clients identify and clarify their values and what they want to stand for in their relationships, values are like a compass. And so they're guiding our actions. So if I, and there's always a set of values. So let's imagine that I want to be kind, authentic, honest, um, assertive. Now, if you ask me something like, um, you know, uh, how do you like this dress on me? If I say it looks hideous, um, maybe I'm being honest, but I'm not being compassionate, right? So we always want to do a behavior that moves us towards a set of values. Now, what I find is that when we are consistent with our values and we are clear on what we want to be about, um, it gives us more information about our partner. So for example, if I have done a certain behavior and I'm clear, this behavior is consistent with being kind, compassionate, assertive. Now, the, the moment that I do this behavior, the next thing that happens is information about that person because I've done a values consistent action and I've sent it into the universe and I accept that I've done my piece. The rest is out of my control. But the more out of alignment I am with my own values, the more I'll doubt myself. So there'll be an outcome in the relationship right? Maybe they're mad or hurt or upset. And I'll go, are they mad and hurt and upset because I said something the wrong way or because I was mad or, it, it, you know, it, am I not having enough assertiveness or cooperation in this relationship because I'm not being honest enough or because this person's just not empathic? So the clearer we are about our own actions, the more the more we could let go of the outcomes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So when I know that I've done my best to try to get closure in a relationship, that I was honest and forthright and consistent and reliable, if that person does not meet me halfway, then that is information that that's not a person who shares those values with me. Mm -hmm. If I'm not so clear on whether my behaviors are consistent with those values, then it's really hard for me to know, is it me or is it them? Is it the relationship or is it, or is it me? Yeah. And it becomes more confusing. That makes total sense. And it, it really, I think, would make more sense that there's more confusion about yourself more than anything else than the other person. Or Because you're right, if you know your values and you know who you are and what you stand for. If someone treats you like that, you're like, oh, there's no way that I would ever let someone treat me that way. So goodbye, good riddance, you know? That's why it's really important also for us to know ourselves. Like what are our attachment styles? What are our core beliefs that we bring into relationships? Like for example, um, uh, people who have an anxious ambivalent attachment style, they tend to be more focused on the other person, right? The people pleasing, what do they want to hear? What do they want for me? What kind of person? They're, they're more worried about being rejected than about actually evaluating the person that's in front of them. And then what happens is that in those situations, if they end up getting rejected, they're left with a lot of pain. And that pain is not so much about just being rejected. It's about having been rejected while being inauthentic, while not being your true self. And so they want another chance, right? They want to fix it. 
And so what's really important is as long as you're consistent with the kind of person that you want to be and you're behaving authentically, rejection, you know, or, or not getting closure, I mean, is closure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total yeah. sense. And um, when you're talking about attachment styles and you're talking about schemas, you mentioned that we tend to attract ourselves types of people sometimes that can kind of, the way that I understood it is it kind of creates codependent relationships where one person's schema fits with another person. So you have the people pleaser with someone who is uh, more, I guess, I forgot the terms that you use, so I apologize. Yeah, yeah, no, um, no worries. More focused on themselves. So then they kind of come together because the people pleaser wants to please this other person and they want the attention of that the people pleaser is giving. So then it kind of creates this toxic dependency or um, coexistence, I guess. There's a way in which we could create a schema maintaining relationship, right? And it could happen, for example, if I have an avoidant attachment style, I'm more likely for many reasons that I could explain, I'm more likely to attract someone with an ambivalent and anxious ambivalent attachment style. It works the same with core beliefs. So if I have a core belief, let's imagine I took a schema questionnaire, I see that I have a self-sacrifice schema. My core belief is that other people's needs are more important than my own. If I put my needs at the forefront and if I make my needs a priority, I'm selfish and I'm bad and I feel guilty. Now um, I'm kind of, it's like a magnet. I'm a magnet to then a person who may have an entitlement schema because their belief is that my needs are more important than others. Uh, I, right, my needs uh, come above others at any cost and other people are really bad and selfish if, if they don't meet my needs. So now you could see how these two people are kind of magnetically attracted to one another. So the more that the more aware we are of the core beliefs and the dynamics we tend to get into, it will create this kind of way of predicting the kind of relationships that we can attract and get into and create a roadmap for us finding something different. Now let's imagine that we have some people out there listening maybe who find that they're already in that kind of relationship, that they've already attracted the person who is kind of the opposite of them. Is there hope for a relationship like that? Are there things that people can do to sort of help if they're feeling frustrated and stuck with where they are? Well, you know, I'm a therapist, so I always believe there's hope, right? If I didn't believe there's hope. <laughs> and so I, I say to my clients, you know, it isn't about the other person's core beliefs or their uh, attachment styles or their core pain, because we all have pain. We all have baggage. It's about whether they are a willing participant. And so I always help clients assess, is the person you're interacting with a willing participant or not? And a willing participant is someone who is influenced by your feelings and your needs. So for example, if I say to you, hey, Melissa, I feel really lonely. I need affection. Would you be willing to give me a hug? And you say, you know, Abby, I really I, I hear that you feel lonely and you need affection. That's really important. I don't feel comfortable giving you a hug right now. Is there any other way I could meet your need? I could go, would you be willing to give me a massage? Would you be willing to play thumb war? Would you be willing to rub my head? Uh, all for the purpose of meeting my need 
for affection. Now we could notice that the person could say no to many wants, but is still a willing participant in meeting the underlying need. So I always tell people what's important is be really flexible with what you want. Be very rigid with the underlying need. I need affection. Would you be willing to A, B, C, D, E, L, M, N, O, P? Often we get very rigid about the want and we become very flexible, too flexible with the needs that really matter. So the more rigid we are with what we want and how we get it, the less likely we are to get our underlying needs actually met and vice versa. So um, how do we assess then? Is this person a willing participant? It's not if they give me whatever I want. It is if they are being cooperative, they're hearing my needs, they're impacted by my emotions. I go, I feel really lonely right now. And they go, oh, I don't want you to feel lonely. They're just like, no, I don't wanna give you anything. And so we're assessing if the person is a willing participant. And if you have two willing participants, any relationship could work, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what core beliefs you have or the pain and right, because we all have the, the childhood baggage that we bring to our relationships. And if we find a person that in some way um, matches those, but is a willing participant, we could have an emotionally restorative experience. We could have a person similar to our parent or some right important figure in our life that is actually behaving differently with our pain. And that's pretty awesome and magical. Yeah, that's great news that there is hope out there. And that makes total sense what you're saying. And sometimes I think when you have two people, communication styles are so different and actions can be so different. And it doesn't mean that the, the other person isn't willing to meet your need. Like you said, it's just maybe they have a different approach. So trying to learn how to communicate effectively and that's important. I work a lot with couples and, you know, the most important thing in a couple relationship is building a shared language. We have two people, you know, anytime we have more than one person, um, we have to then build norms for what is our shared language? How do we speak about things? How do we negotiate? Um, and so, uh, coming up with that shared language. How do we speak about our triggers? How do we speak about our own core beliefs in a way that takes accountability for what we bring in and doesn't make the other person the cause of our triggers? So a lot of it is creating that, that language so that then when there is a moment of trigger, we could get past all of that pain uh, and understand it in a much quicker, more efficient way. Yeah. I like that. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. And um, it, it is very important, I think, to kind of create what you're talking about a shared language, because I think so many times people often assume that other people think exactly like they do. So a lot of people, not that they're trying to do it on purpose, but unintentionally assume things about their partner that maybe aren't true or aren't necessarily true. Um, and that creates a lot of conflict as well. We certainly project a lot in relationships. We're projecting what, what we feel and what we think. And when we're in the infatuation phase, you know, uh, we're seeing things with rose-colored glasses, right? And then when those rose-colored glasses come off, we're like, oh, like this is the person we're with. <laughs> yeah. So how do we 
start from the very beginning, kind of noticing that we're always having these glasses on, like our schemas, our core beliefs, our attachment styles, they're like a pair of sunglasses that are distorting reality. And how do we start like watching the glasses rather than from the glasses, we start watching like at our glasses mm -hmm. so that then we can have, um, we could see things with more perspective uh, and get more curious. Like, who is this person? When you say this, what do you mean by that? What does it mean to you? Yeah, it's definitely important to ask deepening questions and to really get to, like you said, from the very beginning, the values, the core values of who someone is. And so when we talk about people having attachment styles or having different schemas, so let's say someone takes your online quiz and they discover, oh, I have an abandonment schema and my attachment style is anxious. Do you also then provide tools and tips for them to maybe work with a particular type of schema that they have or the type of uh, attachment style that they have so that they know, you know, this is why? I mean, it's one thing to do the research and understand this is why I'm attracting the kind of people that I am, but then how do you fix that? It's exactly it, right? You know, as a cognitive behavioral therapist, I, you know, I'm come from the philosophy that insight is not enough to create behavioral change. We, we, we all know the experience of knowing what we're doing wrong and continuing to do it over and over again, right? Like it's hard to break unhelpful habits. Um, so the work actually is after it's not in the why it's more in the how, how do I want to be different? When do I want to be different? How do I know the cues that tell me that I want to do something different? When are those moments to do something different? What, what kind of help do I need to do something different? Like what are the barriers in doing something different? And so I help people identify their values, which is a set of values. Then we talk about creating values-based actions, which is a very specific behavior, like I will ask a question or I will say no. Um, so we, we come up with specific values-based actions. And then we also identify triggers of when you're likely to, for example, somebody who, who struggles with abandonment may do certain behaviors like uh, clinging or seeking uh, excessive reassurance uh, or, or right, like attacking, where were you, who, who were you with, when, uh, and those behaviors then end up creating the self-fulfilling prophecy. So what are we, what behaviors are we going to do to replace those behaviors and when? And part of the, mo the most important part of the work is doing experiential exercises to work with these barriers. So I, I have a lot of techniques that if they are emotional barriers, for example, guilt could stop you from saying no or stop you from being assertive or stop you from taking care of yourself, right? Anger could stop you from being open or being curious. So if there's an emotion that acts as a barrier to the values, I will do certain exercises that involve acceptance and self-compassion and making space for difficult emotions, bringing them closer. It may involve imagery with the parents or it may involve um, you know, going over a triggering event, but it's about like, building this openness in your body to accept and notice the experience, the physiological sensations of it and soften up to it. 
because the more we're not willing to have it, the more it stops us from doing a new behavior, the more we're able to have it, it's no longer a barrier. And so with thoughts, I work a little bit differently. The mind throws us lots of different thoughts and we wanna do many experiential exercises to soften up the, the, the belief in those thoughts. And so we may do certain exercises of writing down, you know, what are the negative thoughts that you have? What do those thoughts stop you from doing? We may ask, how big is this thought? How strongly do you believe this thought? We may check at different times how strongly you believe this thought. Um, so we work with thoughts a little bit differently than emotions and sensations, but these are the things that when we, when we learn to relate to our internal experiences differently and mostly with kindness and self-compassion, we go, thank you, mind, for telling me to attack, right, and, and, and you know, uh, and be suspicious of this person and ask them where they've been and, you know, thank you, mind, for trying to protect me from abandonment. Thank you, mind, for trying to help me not be a failure or mess up because our minds are trying to protect us. So when we're learning to relate with our thoughts differently, with our emotions differently, with our sensations, memories, all of our internal experiences, when we build a kind of loving space, reparenting ourselves, then we are more able to move towards the things that matter. And so we want to be very specific with the behaviors. And then I'm very specific with the interventions that I do with every single barrier that shows up. I hope that made sense. Yes, it did. And it sounds like an awesome program to help people because I know that oftentimes we are the ones who get in our own way. You know, we keep doing the same thing over and over again and then we're like why do i keep attracting the same type of person and it's because we haven't done anything different we haven't gone in and done the inner work to really truly understand you know that uh, the way that we were raised the traumas that we have when they go unhealed really does affect a lot of different things in life but especially our relationships absolutely and I say, if we're going to do the same thing, then we know what the result is. We already know. Yeah. Sometimes if we don't know what we could do differently, I say it's better to do anything differently. Start balking like a chicken, you know, start doing jumping jacks. Anything is better. If you could notice a moment where there's an urge to do an old behavior, rather than trying to figure out the exact right behavior, do anything different. Because that's the moment of choice, you know, just recognizing the moment where we have this real choice to do something radically different and not repeat this very dynamic that's both really painful for us and also keeps us really safe. Like this repetition compulsion keeps us very safe too because we could go, see, look, I, I knew everybody abandons me. Or see, I knew that the world is unsafe and I'm gonna be betrayed. And even though it causes us a lot of pain, there's also another part of us that's really, it's hard to give up because it makes us feel like the world is more predictable, mm -hmm. more certain, even if it's bad. Yeah, it's what we know. So that feels safe to us, even if it's something that's really painful, there's still an exactly. element of, of comfortability. Is that a word? <laughs> but there's an element of that. Right, comfort and familiarity, right? Like this is what I know, this is familiar. And even though it damages me and causes me a lot of pain, like it's kind of like the devil I know is better than the devil I don't know. And as long as I keep doing the same thing, I can have that hope that 
maybe things will be better. So it's yeah. it's interesting how our our own you know our own limitations also feel at certain times like the very thing that's comforting and safe. Yeah, that's interesting, and I would agree that I think a lot of people are just afraid of doing something new, doing something different, because change is very scary sometimes. When clients come back to to when when they when they come back to session and they say I've done a values based action, I've done a new behavior, and they tell me about it. If they are not going through pain and suffering and it's not difficult, I say that couldn't have been a new behavior because any time that we really do something radically new and we move towards values in a moment of trigger, it actually feels so scary and so new and all of, right, like we have a core belief and everything gets triggered, automatic thoughts, feelings, sensations, and all of this pain so doing something new in that moment feels very counterintuitive and very scary. So we know if we're in pain that we are doing that we're in the right direction. If we're scared and uncomfortable, we're, we're taking step towards what matters. Yeah, I always say that nothing exciting ever happens inside your comfort zone. So it's important to step outside and try new things. Yep, absolutely. Nothing, nothing really like fulfilling and worth having in life comes easily. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love this conversation and you have given us so much wisdom today and I really appreciate that. If there's anyone out there listening who maybe wants to read your books or would like to take the free online quizzes that you have, or maybe would like to do, I know you have online courses too that you offer for people. What's the best way for them to do that? Um, I have uh, bayareacbtcenter.com. I also have uh, cbtonline.com. Uh, if you want to purchase any of my books, uh, you could just look me up on Amazon uh, with my full name, Avigai Lev, A-V-I-G-A-I-L-L-E-V, -E and you could see I have uh, several books um, on strengthening relationships and one for couples. And uh, if you want to take the schema questionnaire, um, it's on bayareacbtcenter.com. And I also have a course right now on helping uh, people who are survivors of narcissistic abuse. I have an upcoming course on integrating attachment styles with CBT techniques um, and in a couple of courses on, on communication skills. That sounds amazing. So I encourage you all to go and check that out. And of course, we'll have the link in the show notes too. So if you're driving, don't worry about having to write that down. You can just go later and click on the show notes and go right to that website. Well, I always like to leave our show and our guests with a little nugget of wisdom for the day. So if there is one piece of advice that you could give our listeners, what would that be? The one piece of advice I would give is um, there is no right partner. There's nobody out there that's right for you. There's only somebody who's a willing participant or isn't a willing participant. So rather than trying to figure out who's the right partner, focus on becoming the kind of partner you want to be and really hold yourself accountable to, is this behavior in all of your relationships, your friendships, your work relationships, these are all the same. Are you moving towards a set of values with your boss, uh, with your colleagues, with your coworkers, with your partner, with your kids, with your friends? Become the kind of partner that you would want to have. 
and build a friendship with yourself where your internal world is filled with kindness and self-compassion and acceptance and gentleness. And that's step one. And when you move in that direction, other things will, will fall in line. I love that beautiful piece of advice. Thank you so much for sharing that with us and for sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge and for all of the work that you're doing. We really appreciate that. Thank you. That's very sweet. Thank you. And I want to thank all of you for being here with us today as well. As always, if you like this podcast, please subscribe. Please leave a positive review from wherever you're listening. Always, you can leave me some stars on iTunes, but the greatest compliment you can pay me is to share the podcast with those you think you might also benefit from it. I want to wish you guys all a beautiful day from wherever you're listening. And as always, I am sending you so much love and light. I will talk to you soon. Bye, guys.